Welcome to Friends of Fire, the podcast that bridges the gap between fire science and natural resource management. I'm your host, Marinelle Armstrong, Outreach Specialist with the Southern Fire Exchange. Today, we will be talking with Ludi Bond about public perceptions of prescribed fire and how to constructively communicate about fire to a variety of audiences and stakeholders. Ludi Bond has served as a wildfire mitigation specialist and public information officer with the Florida Forest Service for the past 19 years. In her capacity as a public information officer, she provides local, state, and national media with information about wildfires, wildfire causes, wildfire prevention, prescribed burning, and fuel mitigation programs in the area. She has also responded to multiple natural disaster recovery deployments throughout the U.S., including in the Panhandle of Florida for a Hurricane Michael recovery deployment. Ludi also promotes safe forest use for recreation and hunting, as well as special programs such as longleaf pine restoration and the enhancement of red-cockaded woodpecker habitat. Her PhD research at the University of Florida's School of Forest Fisheries and Geomatic Sciences considers the current public perception of prescribed burning, how messaging should advance, and who the trusted messengers are in the southeastern United States. I find this research to be especially important and impactful considering the previous historical messaging about fire as detrimental to people and the environment, which is now scientifically proven to be false, but is still prevailing in some communities. Successful fire management and acceptance of fire practices throughout the U.S. is dependent on clear, constructive messaging, a goal that Ludi Bond has dedicated her life to help achieve. So Ludi, can you begin by telling us a little bit about your story, uh, where you come from, and, and what motivated you to do the work that you do? Mm, it's, it's, it's uh, I guess, a com- complex answer to a complex question. <laughs> where do things ever lead you in life? Uh, my undergrad degree from the University of Florida is in public relations from the College of Journalism and Communications. And when I got out of school, I went into healthcare. So I was doing healthcare marketing and public relations uh, with Shans Home Care and then with hospice. And I, I was doing a safety fair and I made friends with some of the folks with the Florida Forest Service. And they were telling me how they never get any recognition, any media coverage, nobody ever knows what they do because they're always deep in the woods working. And I thought, wow, you guys need public relations, you need marketing. And they were complaining that the guys in the shiny red trucks and the white shirts who are always out by the road protecting homes, they were always the one on television. So I ended up going back to school at the University of Florida Um, At the time, our School of Forestry was the School of Forest Resources and Conservation, got a master's degree in wildland urban interface uh, issues because I wanted to do public relations for forestry, but the Florida Forest Service didn't have a position at that time for a true public relations person, Uh, county fire departments, city fire departments had positions for education and outreach people, but the Florida Forest Service didn't have that just yet. But I married the two degrees, uh, became a volunteer with the Florida Forest Service. I joined the Florida Forestry Association to try to build my knowledge of forestry. And since then, uh, see, I finished my master's in 2004. So I've been doing uh, public information with the Florida Forest Service since then. Uh, And I guess it was back, and and that was in 2004 that I got my master's. Uh, About three years ago, 
three or four years ago, I decided I was ready to dive in deeper. I wanted to go further. And so that kind of brought me to where I'm at now, uh, getting my PhD uh, from the University of Florida in what we now call the School of Forest Fisheries and Geomatic Sciences. And you now work with the Forest Service as a public information officer or the Florida Forest Service, right? I do. Yeah, the Florida Forest Service created positions. First off, we were called wildfire mitigation specialists, and we still are. Uh, There are about 15 now um, of us in the state in the various districts that the Florida Forest Service has the state broken up into. And we serve as both uh, resources to identify areas of concern in the counties in Florida, areas that have a high buildup of hazardous fuel loads for wildfire concerns. So that would be the fuel mitigation portion of our job. But we also serve as public information officers, which at different times of the year and depending on what's going on, whether it's prescribed burn season, which is really year round in Florida or wildfire season, which really is year round in Florida. um, We serve as the public information officers. We do a lot of prevention, fire prevention education as well, uh, but we are sometimes our primary job is more of the information function. And have you ever done any work like this in the West or was it actually yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Actually, I'm in. Cal- I'm coming to you from California. I'm currently serving as the acting public affairs officer on the Plumas National Forest in Northern California, and I've done this throughout the country. I've done it on the Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky, San Juan National Forest in Colorado, and most of this summer in 2021, I've been here on the Plumas. And currently we have the Dixie Fire, which is the largest fire in California history. We are well over 700,000 acres and growing. This fire started on July 13th and today is August 22nd. So she's um, well over a month into this fire. We are well over a month into this fire and uh, there's no sign of stopping her just, just yet. But I'm acting my, my, experience as a public information officer in Florida gives me the experience and training to be a public affairs officer on a national forest. I'm also a national wildfire coordinating center NWCG. We call it NWCG type one public information officer, which is the highest level you can achieve in the NWCG um, structure. So I've been a type one PIO for several years now, I want to say about five or six years. And in my 20 years of being a wildland fire public information officer, I've traveled all over Florida, the Southeast. And let me think out West, it's been Oregon, Idaho, California, Colorado, Utah, Montana. (laughs) So my job affords me the opportunity to come out West every summer during the Western wildfire season and work on some of the most beautiful parts of our country, um, national forests, national parks. Um, Last year, I worked on the San Bernardino National Forest, so down near Tijuana, up here on the last national forest in Northern California. Then I worked on the Los Padres, over by Big Sur and Monterey, and then the Sequoia National Forest and Sequoia National Park. And this year I'm on the Plumas. So I I like to say that um, my job, this is a quote I use frequently, my job 
is better than your best vacation. <laughs> and that's true. That is true. I get paid to see these beautiful national forests and national parks and to meet some just amazing people in some wonderful communities. So I do love what I do. I love that. I love that about <laughs> fire. Every day yes. is different. You're always doing something new and exploring somewhere new. Can you explain a little bit about what a public information officer is and what they do? What are your goals? Kind of in a nutshell, I, I tell people I'm a storyteller. So if you look at it from that perspective, you know, my, my job, my, my career is to tell the story of what people in wildfire do, of the great work that they do. Everything from the firefighters to people conducting prescribed burning to natural resource uh, management folks. Um, like right now I'm working with a bear team. So that's the burn area. Oh gosh, I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up. The recovery process after what, you know, what bear stands for burn area. I'm blanking uh, just as much as I'm you blanking are, too. but the, um, the bear teams come in post fire to assess and I'm not on a bear team. So, but it's, it's the things that we do to help the land heal after a fire. So my, my job is a storyteller to talk about, again, the wonderful work that people do, and then to explain to our various audiences why it's necessary to do the work that we do, whether it's wildfire or prescribed burning. I looked it up. Burned area emergency response. Emergency <laughs> response. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was just in a conference call with our bear team here. <laughs> yep. So it's, and, and then really, any of the activities that we have on our natural areas with my job in Florida, it's what we're doing in our district and in the seven state forests that are within my district. So uh, recreation, um, how we're doing our, our timber, uh, hunting, um, camping, you know, all the recreation, like I said, opportunities on our state forest. And then the Florida Forest Service, we don't just work on, on state lands. We also do a lot of work and help people on private lands, non-industrial private landowners, um, and then just the general public, um, you know, with our, with prescribed burning and all outdoor burning in Florida, it's not just the acreage burns, it's people who are burning for agriculture purposes, people who are burning for land clearing, because obviously in Florida, we have a lot of growth and there is a lot of land clearing burns, but there's, I, I, when I come out West, people are always amazed at how much burning we do in Florida. They had no idea that we lead the country in prescribed burning with over two and a half million acres a year. Mm -hmm. This forest that I'm working on is 1.4 million acres and they get excited if they do just a few hundred. Like, oh my God. <laughs> but that's because it's a very different uh, climate out here, not, not climate meaning weather, but um, the various restrictions and just a, it's a very complex situation of putting smoke in the air here out west, whereas in Florida, there's smoke in the air all year long, whether it's from wildfires or prescribed burning. And there's multiple reasons why we, we use fire in Florida. Uh, as I mentioned, there's a lot of development. So you have the land clearing burns, but agriculture use from citrus farmers to sugarcane farmers, to tree farmers, to ranchers, and then there's the reduction of hazardous fuel loads. You know, there's a multiple reasons why we would conduct uh, prescribed burning for reducing hazardous fuel loads. 
And then since we're the lightning capital of our country, our flora and fauna are fire adapted. And if we don't keep fire on the ground, we're not gonna have those healthy ecosystems and provide the benefits of a healthy habitat for those animals and plants who depend on them. And those are messages that are, they need to get out to our audiences and our publics. And as we know in Florida, not so much since COVID because it kind of has changed as people are coming in and out of our state, but we have new residents moving in by the thousands every year. And so that means in reintroducing or introducing the, the need for fire and the concepts of fire to these new audiences that come in and they're not used to fire, they're not used to smoke. Um, maybe they have health issues. Uh, maybe they're scared of fire. So it's a challenging job to be a public information officer in fire to identify who are your audiences, how do they get their information, who do they trust to deliver their information, and then what, what means a lot to them? What, what are their concerns? What do they already know? What do they, what is their perception of fire? Is it positive? Is it negative? And why? Why is it positive? Why is it negative? And then what can we do as natural resource professionals and professionals in fire to get our messages out to those audiences? Because our residents in Florida, many of them are voters and voting shapes public policy. And so uh, our, the people that are in office that are going to move forward with policies regarding being able to continue to be the leader of prescribed burning in Florida uh, in the United States and you know, Florida being the leader, uh, if we want to continue being able to do what we do, then we need to make sure that our message is getting to the people who vote. And those are our audiences. So not, and not just for that reason, but also because, um, and when I, when I teach um, different groups about, about fire information, I talk to them about um, successful prescribed burning isn't just successfully putting fire on the ground. It's not just successfully completing your mop up. It's the year long um, program, pr it's your communication plan that goes year round to talk to these audiences, reach out to them, talk to them about your, your, um, your management plan for your forest and what, what all that encompasses from recreation to, to tree planting, to timber harvesting, to prescribed burning so that you're creating realistic expectations with these various groups. And, and it's anything from the citizens that live nearby, people who are going to come and recreate nearby, any, any, any group of people who are going to be impacted by you putting fire on the ground, whether it's smoke or them visibly seeing it or their concerns about wildlife or their concerns about not being able to recreate during a period of prescribed burning or to address their fears of wildfire. You know, when I meet with homeowner association groups or other groups, and we're going to talk about our land management plan on the, the state forest that's near where they live, I'll tell them straight up right off the bat, I'm here to answer your questions. I'm here to give you information. And you're probably not going to like what I have to say in some way, shape or form. And that's okay. But what you're going to get is the truth 
what you're going to get is what your expectations need to be about what we're doing it. I'm going to tell you why we're doing it and how we're going to do it and when we're going to do it. So they appreciate that. People appreciate honesty and transparency. And that's how you gain trust by being open, honest, and transparent. And again, they might not like everything you have to say. They might not like that they're going to see some charred ground for a while. Um, or they might not like that there may be some turkey nests that burn or something like that. Um, but if you explain why and how and what the long-term benefits are, hopefully over time you can win them over. I hate to say win them over to your side, but uh, at least present information that's more palatable and acceptable. I do ask various groups that I'm speaking to or communicating with, I ask them for their patience and their understanding. Understand why we're doing what we're doing as natural resource professionals and as fire professionals and, and creating that understanding again of why, why we're doing, but the patience, it's short term, it's short lived. Prescribed burning is, you know, you're usually talking of impacts that can go 24, 48, 72 hours, and then there's typically no more impacts other than waiting for things to green back up. The difference between East and West Coast, though, is we have regeneration very soon in Florida. You know, we have the humidity, we have the precipitation, we have the ground fuels of peat, duff, and muck. So you have have hopefully some some moisture in the ground that's going to help with that regeneration of, of vegetation after you burn the surface fuels. Out west, it can take quite a while to get any kind of regeneration because their ground fuels are more clay, rock, sand. So they don't enjoy the benefits we have in the southeast of things growing back and greening up really quick. It takes a lot longer. Mm -hmm. So we have to ask for more patience. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So there was something that you said in there uh, talking about how you discuss fire and what's going to happen next with landowners or those who are involved. And you talked about, you know, being honest, being open, being thorough. Um, have you ever heard of this concept called the swamp talking about science communication? Have you ever heard no. that term? Mm -mm. Okay. So I took this science communication class last year and something we learned about was avoiding, you know, quote the swamp, which I thought was a really interesting topic what it is is it's referring to some things that might detract from the overall message that people might get stuck on um, and then kind of tune out so things that maybe don't want to be mentioned in certain communication situations so for example if I'm talking to someone about a prescribed fire for the first time I might not mention turkey nests getting burned up Sure. You know, mm -hmm. um, just because they might, as soon as they hear that, they might not even hear the rest of what I have to say. They might lose the overall purpose of the message and all they're thinking is all oh, those poor baby turkeys. <laughs> um, so I was going to ask if you have anything like that. It sounds like maybe you don't, maybe you just try to be open and honest about everything, but do you feel like there is anything that you try to avoid when discussing fire or that maybe practitioners maybe should avoid not to be 
evasive. You know, if there's a question that someone asks about it, of course we Mm. answer, but just like in a general messaging, do you think there's anything that you try to avoid when talking about fire? Well, I think I would phrase it differently instead of things to avoid. I would, I would phrase it as things to focus on. So I think it's, it is very important to identify who you're speaking to or who you're communicating with, with, whether it's an individual or a group, what matters to them? What do they want to know about? What kind of information can you provide or what kind of picture can you paint or what kind of resources can you provide that's really going to meet their needs? Find out what their needs are, what their questions are. And then really focus on that because that's what's going to matter to them. That's what's going to meet their need. And that's what's going to build trust with that group. Because if they trust you, then they'll be much more open to hearing what you have to say. And then in future communications, if you need to maybe broaden the scope or take a little bit different direction to make sure you're painting a complete and thorough picture for them, creating those realistic expectations, even if they might not like them, you're creating those, but see, by now they trust you. So I think instead of saying avoiding, it would be, what should I focus on? What are my key message points for these groups? What's really going to matter to them? And in order to do that, you need to do your homework. You need to find out Um, again, you know, who are these people? How do they get their information? How do they want to get their information? Who do they want to get it from? And it might not be a government agency. It might be uh, an extension agent, a county extension agent, you know, and those, those individuals and those groups have science and research backing their messaging because it's coming from a university. It's not coming from a government entity because as we know in our world, there's a lot of distrust with various um, government organizations. Not always, not always, but then that goes back to, to knowing your audiences, knowing their history. I like to, to talk to people a little bit to get to know them before I actually start presenting my information and find out what really matters to them. I've been in situations where as an incident management team, uh, wildland fire incident management team, which are teams that are, are highly experienced and trained in the incident command system that go out and, and handle and run and manage fires in various parts of our country and natural, natural disasters. Um, the Florida Forest Service specializes in wildfire, but we also do hurricane recovery and Texas winter storm recovery, a lot of natural disaster things. But, uh, and I was in Montana one time on Flathead National Forest and we show up, we're going to manage this fire and we have a public meeting and we invite people from the community to come out. And they did not like us at all because we were flatlanders. We don't know anything about fighting fire in the mountains. And it was um, a very hostile group. So we thought, "Mm, okay, moving forward, what can we do so that there's a better relationship between us and the people in the community? Turns out the county sheriff was the person that people knew and trusted. And so then he became the primary spokesperson at these meetings to talk to his, his community to say, 
no, get, give this team a chance. Give these folks a chance. They know fire. They know what they're doing. They're professionals. I trust them, and I think you should too. And by the end of the assignment, they were making us custom belt buckles and bringing fudge by. Oh. It really flipped and changed. But you've got to find out who are those people in the communities that people know and, and trust. And I'll give you a, for instance, on this fire, uh, unfortunately, the fires on the Plumas this season have uh, experienced quite a bit of devastation. The fire, the sugar fire on the Beckworth complex burned through the town of Doyle. And we had at least a dozen homes burned to the ground, completely destroyed. So far on the Dixie fire, we've had only over 1,200 homes burned to the ground and the entire town of um, Greensville completely burned down. So, and we have a lot of other small communities that are directly threatened. There's multiple evacuations going on throughout the day, uh, depending on where this fire is going in all different directions. And it's, it's a very concerning, scary thing. So I went to Taylorsville yesterday and I spent some time talking to the people who live there and have chosen to stay there. They're under a mandatory evacuation right now, but they chose to stay. So I sat on the front porch outside the, the post office and the grocery store, it's all one, one building, sat with some of the folks in the area and we just visited, we just talked. I have my Florida patches on my Nomex so they know I'm not from there. Thinking, hmm, can we trust her? Who is this person? Why is she here? I went to the volunteer fire department and I sat and I talked with them for a while. They have very limited Wi-Fi right now if any, a lot of people in these rural communities do not do social media. They don't do Facebook. They're not going to go look on NCWeb, which is where all the federal fires are listed. It's um, a great source of information. But if you don't have Internet and if you don't do social media, you don't get on Facebook. How do you get your information? Who do you get it from and what do you need? And so I needed to just be there for a little bit talk with them. I got a ham sandwich. I said, and I, I just things boil peanuts. I'm telling you, if you just sit, this is funny. So I tell I when I'm teaching classes, and I talk to people about being on federal lands or areas where it's um, very, very rural. And you're not from there. If you find out where people get beer, gas and cigarettes. That's where people are going to go beer, gas and cigarettes. You go to these little stores and you get a big old styrofoam cup of Cajun boiled peanuts. It, it sounds crazy, but this works. <laughs> and you sit and you visit. You just talk with these people. You find out what matters to them. They know these areas. They know these communities. They know fire behavior. They know fire history. They can be an extremely valuable asset to operations for operational tactics on firefighting. But that's, I'm information, I'm not operations. So I was asking them, how do you currently get your information? Where do you want to get it from? Who do you want to get it from? What can I do to meet those needs? You help me identify those needs and, and what can I do? I'm here for you. So we identified that they, they really like the division soup 
supervisor on the incident management team coming by every day and giving them an operational briefing. She stands in front of the map and she talks the community through that. And then they then share that information throughout the community. People will come into town and talk to the people who got the briefing. So they get the information that way. They said, well, there's a radio station at a town nearby and all they talk about is the west zone of the fire. Well, we're in the east zone of the fire. We need information on the east zone. Great, we'll make that happen. We'll do that for you. They have um, a, a member on their volunteer fire department who records Facebook briefings every day and he goes, it's an operational briefing, but he's the local person who people trust, but he gets that information from us but we're not the ones delivering it. He gets it from that division soup when she goes by and gives him the briefing. And then he presents it to his community. So it's our information, but he's our conduit because they trust him. You've got to take the time and effort to go through those motions and, and do that. It really pays off. Um, it, it's huge inroads with these communities and it really matters. In Florida, uh, give an example of a community that St. John's River Water Management District manages up near near Jacksonville. And it was an area where they hadn't had fire for quite a while. They needed to start introducing prescribed burning. And it took several years to build the relationships with the local um, people who who live in some of the condominiums that are butt up right next to this pro their property there. There's a shopping mall, there's a heavily traveled roadway. So putting smoke in the air can be very challenging for all those components that are there and around that property. But they, they took the time to really meet one-on-one -on -one, face to face with the people who live nearby there. And now over the years, these people have seen how they put fire on the ground. They've got some char and black areas, but it comes and it grows back. And now they have an increase in their bird population, their pollinators, their wildflowers. And when they haven't burned in a while, the people start calling. Why haven't you burned? We miss you burning. We need you to burn. And they have a big party. They all sit outside and have, have a covered dish supper and drinks and watch the burn. And Oh, that's great. It's kind of an extreme story, but now they are advocates for prescribed burning in Florida. And that's what we need. That's what we need. But it takes the time. So if I can, if I can give any advice from my experiences and my knowledge in this, as natural resource professionals and as prescribed burn professionals in Florida or wherever you go in the country to, to burn, Take the time to get to know the people that are going to be impacted by what you do. It matters. If you want to have a successful prescribed burn program, take the time to get to know those people and what matters to them and meet those needs. That's amazing. It, I mean, what you do and how you do it is, is amazing because it seems, you know, one of my questions was going to be about who are the trusted messengers and then how do you reach them? But it really seems like it's a case by case situation. It's town by town, it's audience by audience. And yeah. that you really have to tailor your message and, and learn about each group. A lot of us are guilty of this, my agency, as well as other, other people in fire, we think, oh, if they just, if they don't know about the benefits, let's just provide them with the information. And then, of course, they'll know and they'll be on our side and there'll be positive public perception on prescribed burning. 
that's called the knowledge deficit theory. And that, mm-hmm. that theory states that if you just provide them with the information, they will accept it, ingest it, understand it. And then now they will, they will be an advocate or they will have a positive perception of what you're doing. And that's not necessarily true. And I know the example, as you're learning about the knowledge deficit theory, the example is, well, physicians know that smoking is bad for you, but there are physicians who smoke. I mean, we as a public know that eating too much or eating too much fried food or, you know, overindulging in any kind of substance is bad for you, but we still do it. Not everybody, but on occasion. So, or or we know that exercise is healthy for us. Do we all exercise as much as we should? No. So that disproves the knowledge deficit theory. Uh, My experience and and, um, other theories talk about how it's the it's peer pressure it's social norms it's um the environmental identity theory is a big one what are people's experiences in the environment in nature and how does that help them uh, accept some of the practices that we that we do that that we conduct as natural resource professionals a lot of times their their experience in nature will will help to to promote their positive perceptions on the work that you're doing but it's uh, what are the social norms in the area is prescribed burning an accepted practice in rural areas it's much more of an accepted practice if people are from there they're they're familiar with the the practice of prescribed burning and smoke in the air and they're very accepting of it and, and these are generalities, but people typically in urban areas may not be because they're not used to it. They don't they don't um, experience it quite often. Or if they're from more of a larger metropolitan area and they move into a rural area, they're not used to that practice. And having smoke and ash in the air and on your car and in your pool or on the laundry you have hanging out is not a very positive experience. But if you no one understand that it's temporary, then you're much more apt or or you know the benefits of that practice, you're much more apt to be accepting and understanding of it. So I guess that kind of brings me to an experience that I had as a public information officer with the Florida Forest Service back January 21 of 2020. It was a perfect day for prescribed burning in Florida, meaning we had had some nice frosts and freezes come through the state. So the fine fuels were cured and and dead to carry fire. We had cool temps. We had nice dispersion to lift the smoke up. Uh, In the wintertime, when we're in the dormant season in Florida is when the majority of prescribed burning is done. But we have consistent wind direction. It helps you with smoke management for your 24, 36, 48, 72 hour projection of where your smoke's gonna go. So on Gothi State Forest in Levy County, we decided we were going to go ahead and do a very large burn, which we do for every year. Anywhere from seven to 12,000 acres we'll do over a day or two. We use aerial ignition for that. It's a county that is right next to the Gulf of Mexico. 
So, and, and U.S. Highway 19, which can be a little tricky putting smoke, you know, on a U.S. highway. Yes. Uh, it's, it's rural, it's a rural area, but your smoke can go into some um, more um, urban, urban areas into Marion County, Citrus County. So those counties are right there nearby, but um, we have been in communications with everybody that we were going to burn and that we thought we were going to get some nice lift off that smoke. So we conducted our burn. The first day we're going to do 4,000, the next day three. Our air resources that were doing the ignition from the helicopters said, yep, smoke looks good. Lifting up really nice, hitting those transport winds and going out. Everything's looking real good. Burn's going well. Well, that evening, my phone started ringing because our smoke traveled four counties, about 75 miles, and decided to, it smoke didn't decide, atmospheric conditions were such that the smoke dumped in downtown Tampa during rush hour. Oh, no. smoke and ash and it was pretty brown and hazy in downtown Tampa and as the information officer on the fire all calls were directed to me to handle and I thought there's no way that that's our smoke well when you look at NOAA satellite that was provided we were the point of origin there's no doubt about it that fire from Gothi had all that smoke going directly south did it pick up smoke from other burns in in uh Citrus and Hernando County and Hillsborough County heading down that way, probably, but mm-hmm. smoke does not have DNA. So we were the point of origin. Uh, so that said to me, wow, I, I didn't realize that the smoke would go that far, but it was because it was such a cold day and the smoke just kind of sunk, you know, and dumped, dumped right there. But the phone calls I got from people, it was very interesting I heard comments such as, I, I found you because I Googled you up. I Googled this situation up. So that's how I got your number to call you. I'm a member of the Sierra Club. I'm a master naturalist. I know a great deal about prescribed burning. And these are various comments from different people. Uh, I understand why you burn. And no, we don't want to be like California or Australia and have wildfires. I understand it's to reduce wildfires. I understand it's healthy for the animals in Florida, but why do you have to burn so much at one time? Why do you have to put smoke and ash in my yard, in my condo on Bayshore Boulevard in Tampa? Why couldn't you burn and put all the smoke over the Gulf of Mexico? Why do you have to burn on such a beautiful, clear, crisp Florida day when the weather's perfect for me to go play golf and now I can't go play golf? So that said to me, our messaging has worked. They know why we burn, why we burn for habitat and ecosystems, why we burn for fire-dependent flora and fauna, why we burn to reduce wildfire risk. They get it. They got it. Now they have deeper questions. Now their questions warrant deeper answers. They want science. They want research. They want to know why. And that got me thinking, does our messaging need to change? I think it does. There's there's always been the standard in communications that you need to conduct your communications at about a seventh grade level with the general population. I'm, I'm going to propose that that that's not the case anymore. And I'm going to propose that um, suggestion because we have Wi-Fi, 
We got laptops, we got cell phones. My 80 year old mother Googles up stuff on her cell phone. Everybody Googles up on their cell phone. They can get the information. They don't have to wait to be fed the information. And I think that's a real key thing here is that our audiences have resources, not all of them. A lot of them, you know, don't use cell phones. They don't have internet in our really rural communities. But in Florida and in the Southeast, I'm thinking that we need to start changing those, those messages and go deeper, go further. And maybe it is that now some of our trusted messengers need to be those county extension agents. They need to be uh, resources that have that scientific and research background to uh, get that help to get that information out. I do find that not everybody is distrustful of the government, but being most of our land management agencies are government affiliated in some way, shape or form. We wear uniforms, whether you're federal, state, county, district, however that goes, you know, you're in some sort of uniform and some people distrust that. And that's why it's so important to find out when you're identifying your audiences who is it that's delivering messages that they would trust? And then based on that, based on what their current perception is of prescribed burning, what their current knowledge base is, what your messaging needs to be, who, how you need to deliver that, that's your communications plan. And you may not be a communications professional but you are a fire professional. You are a prescribed burn, burning professional. And as such, communications is key to be being able to have that, that successful prescribed burn program. As I said at the beginning of this, it's much more than lighting that drip torch, stringing that fire and doing, doing thorough mop up. It's so much more than that. And you need to embrace that. If we want to continue with the practice of prescribed burning, if we want to continue being able to burn year round in Florida, we need to embrace these principles and it takes time and effort, but it's worth putting in the time and effort. Right, because these practices are going to be perceived one way or the other, like the smoke is going to get in the air and, uh, and communities are going to be impacted in some way, shape or form. So it's really up to the communicators Either there's no communication or people are just kind of left to perceive it. However, maybe large media sources who are a little bit more, some might be more entertainment focused, you know, is that where they're going to get their information from? Or is it going to be from, you know, someone like you or a prescribed fire public information officer that's going to focus on, who's going to be upfront and honest and focused on the right kind of messaging. You talked about shifting and advancing messaging. And that the trusted messengers might also be shifting too. I feel like I've noticed that with COVID, the trusted mm. messenger, people who are trusted, you know, whether it be government or scientists, it's, it's shifting for some people, for some groups. And it's important to kind of roll with that and to adapt and to be able to continue to put out the messaging that people are interested in that can help them understand what's going on with fire in their area. You bring up a really good point with COVID. Uh, you know, I've been promoting messaging from a research and science base with COVID. We've been putting out a lot of a lot of communications has been out, put out from 
these research and scientific sources. And then messaging may contradict itself or a message comes out and then they have to correct that messaging later because it's an evolving situation with COVID and it's, you know, it's, it's new and we don't, we're learning out more and more about it all the time. So then the, the general public, various audiences from where around the world, can we trust our scientists? Is the information they're giving really accurate? So many people don't trust the vaccine. So that there's an example right there of it. So realizing that fire is different than, than the pandemic, but still those principles still apply. Um, that's why those communications plans are so important and they are not the same. The principles are the same, but it's not going to be the same for every area, every situation out here in California, as we know, they have a, an extreme wildfire problem and they have an extreme lack of fuel reduction for various reasons there's the practice of logging has has changed thinning uh any kind of fuel reduction any kind of burning putting smoke in the air their air quality issues their various regulations a lot of people talk about the mismanagement of of national forest and mismanagement of natural areas in the in Oregon and in California seems to be like the focus point. This didn't happen overnight and the cure is not going to happen overnight. There's a lot of different components to reducing wildfire risk, but there are so many strict strict constraints and regulations and a lot of finger pointing, a lot of finger pointing. It's not it's not one entity's blame for the condition that they're in now. And then there's global warming, there's climate change, and that's everybody's fault <laughs> or it's just it's the situation that we're in. Right. So I would love to see California move more towards mirroring what we do in Florida. And from what I've heard and seen and read, there are, are measures in place attempting to do that. Mm-hmm. I know Lenya Quinn Davidson is the director, if I get this right, of the North Northern California Prescribed Burn Council. And she recently led a training for prescribed burn bosses. And so they're they're doing they're they're trying they're attempting to do more in California to to train the burn bosses for prescribed burning. They're also moving uh, forward with being more progressive with liability coverage for burn bosses, mirroring what we have in Florida, but also realizing that the natural regime of fire in California is different from Northern to Southern California. So this isn't something that really would be applicable throughout California, but certainly in Northern California. And so I think it seems that they're moving forward with that. We see little, little, little by little, we do see the increase in percentages of prescribed burning going up in California little by little. They do have severe air quality issues in the state. There are a lot of environmental groups that are, are opposed to prescribed burning. So how, how do we, that's one of the audiences then for prescribed burners is the environmental groups, people who are enforcing regulations. So it's not an easy fix these kind of problems never are but it it appears they're starting to move forward i think because there is the fear of these prescribed uh, the fear of wildfire that the the voters the the residents of california are demanding that something change so i think we're going to see that 
little by little from from my experiences this week with some politicians and some other um, dignitaries who have visited this fire over the last couple of weeks that I've been here. They're very interested in in our feedback and those conversations of what is it going to take to move forward. History is history. We are where we are now moving forward. Let's blame and, and finger pointing is not going to solve anything. Moving forward, what do we need to do? And hopefully they'll take a look at what we're doing in Florida and what we're doing in the Southeast. And they'll, they'll learn from our, or, or they'll take into account our successful programs that we have. If you recall in Florida, it was not that long ago that we had conflagrations that emptied counties. We would have not just mandatory evacuations for communities, we'd have entire counties have to, to, to mandatory evacuations, 98, 2000, 2002. There was a great deal of very large wildfires in Florida. And since then, thank goodness, we've been allowed as natural resource professionals to create a robust, extremely robust prescribe burn program. And, you know, we want to thank the leaders in our state for allowing us to do what we know is the right thing to do as land managers. We've been given the the um, the responsibility of being good stewards of the lands that we manage. And a large part of that involves prescribed burning, again, because we are the lightning capital of our country, which means our flora and fauna are dependent on fire. Unfortunately, a lot of our residents aren't a big fan of that, but they do like the the after effects of those prescribed burns, you know, the, the new wildflowers, the pollinators, the birds, um, how healthy it is for various species and, and the reduction in wildfires. Do we still have wildfires in Florida? Sure. We have them almost every day. I would venture to say every day there's a wildfire somewhere in Florida. We're pretty wet right now because of the tropical storms and hurricanes and things moving through. We're still having wildfires. We've, we're having them today in Alachua County. My phone's been been beeping. Uh, they're small. They're eat much more easy to control and manage and contain. So, uh, and I, I want to say that um, kudos to our prescribed burn program for mm -hmm. allowing that. Yeah. Now, again, we don't have the topography that they have in the west so fire doesn't race you know up mountains because we don't have any mountains we have um the we don't have hundreds of thousands of acres of uninterrupted fuels with our our natural lands like they do out west with national parks and national forests but we still half of our state is is timber or forested i should say half of our state is forested and a lot of people don't realize that they think Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, beaches, you know, big cities, but no, we, we do. Now, of course, the majority of that is going to be from Ocala up north through the Panhandle. But yeah, half, half of our state is forested. So there is the potential for very large wildfires. But because of the way we are managing our natural areas in Florida with the use of fire, we have greatly reduced that the, the occurrence and the risk of our visitors and residents. I think we actually have the highest number in terms of frequency of wildfires. So like we have the most wildfires, but they stay small mm -hmm. and are easily more easily dealt with. And I would also say that since those fires back 20 years ago, 
uh, all, all of the various agencies and response groups for initial attack on wildfires are working more closely together in concert. So it's, it's, a, it's a combined effort on response to initial attack. Of course, the Florida Forest Service has responsibility uh, for initial attack on all wildland fires in the, throughout the state of Florida. Um, we have jurisdiction over that, except for on federal lands. So national forests, um, national parks, which our three national parks are heavily um, involved with water. You know, Dry Tortugas is an island. Biscayne National Park is a bunch of islands. Everglades certainly has fires, but it's sawgrass burning over over water. Uh, we have Big Cypress Preserve. So we have we have some federal preserves, a um, lot, lot of federal lands, but we're all working together with our county fire departments, volunteer fire departments, and uh, those communications are happening and it's a well-coordinated effort. And um, we, we, we do really good work in Florida. Yes, there's a lot of collaboration in the Southeast that I've noticed. Um, I've worked in both Georgia and Florida, so that's all I can really speak to, but I see a lot of mm -hmm. collaboration between agencies. So what do you think people can do now to help build a prescribed fire culture to help advance their messaging? And there's a lot of, you know, people is a broad term. <laughs> there's a lot of different roles of fire practitioners, researchers, conservation enthusiasts, the quote general public, which again is another broad term and private landowners. Um, you think that kind of like cooperation coming together, working together, open, honest messaging. Do you think all of that is kind of in the cards for a way to move forward? I, th I think we're doing it right. I think we're moving forward with that. We continue to do it year round. We don't just uh, wait until the day of a burn to get information out. We're constantly the collective week and the collaboration with all the groups. We're constantly working together on our collaborative communication plans to do the fire festivals and this prescribed burn demonstrations and getting people up and near close to fire, inviting them, come see, look, look at the, the fire as it's happening. Come look at the, the burned areas after they happen. Um, are you still gonna have people who don't like the fact that we're burning, don't like the smoke and the ash? are still concerned about its impacts on wild wildlife, thinking that uh, not really understanding the benefits. Sure, absolutely. So that means those are our concerns and issues that still need to be addressed. So I think we're, we're having those conversations. We're all working together. And I think one of the key things is that our various audiences are hearing the same messaging, no matter who they're getting it from. Mm -hmm. And that builds trust, believability, understanding, because they're not hearing something different from the U.S. Forest Service than what they're hearing from the Florida Forest and what they're hearing from the School of uh, Forest Fisheries and Geomatic Sciences at the University of Florida than what they're hearing from Southern Fire Exchange, from what they're hearing from St. John's River Water Management District, from what they're hearing from Florida State Parks. Anybody who puts fire on the ground, anybody who's involved in that, all of our, our land management trust groups throughout the Florida, our prescribed burn associations, our PBAs are, are growing and, and becoming much more robust. So, but, but we all have the same messages. And that is so key 
to, to building that believability. So hopefully we're all becoming the trusted messengers for mm -hmm. our various communities. And, and it really, as a, as an information professional, it, it's, I feel very good about where we are and where we're moving forward because it is very collaborative throughout the whole state. And so that consistency and messaging is so important because as we've seen, you know, we brought up the example of COVID, when you see those contradictions in messaging, then, then our publics are like, who do we believe? I guess we just won't believe anybody. Right, people and lose that, trust. That opens up the door for those groups or individuals who may be maybe anti or negative towards our practice, and they may start gravitating towards those uh, blogs or vigilantes. I, I hate to put a negative, those are kind of negative words to say, but um, we want them to go to those, those government sites or those trusted sites or the, the sources of information that are accurate and true. I mean, here on these wildfires that I'm working on, there are a lot of different sources of information, a lot of sources. And so where are people gravitating? Where are they going to for their information? We would hope that they would go to the forest, to the incident management teams, to the county sheriff's office. They may go to some of their private citizens who are just kind of um, organically producing or, or coming up with these uh, platforms that may or may not be quite accurate. And that's where the rumors come and the misconceptions and misperceptions. And you've got to be kind of on top of that and addressing those. Um, that's more in a, a wildfire realm, but still with prescribed burning, you've got to be in tune with those, those avenues of information and address those. Just like yesterday, when I was in Taylorsville and I made it a point to meet with an individual who does a lot of his own live Facebook posts, uh, wanting to make sure that, that I touch base with that person to support and assist them with information any way I can to make sure that we're getting that accurate information out. So that's just a whole nother component of communications. But I, I, I do, I, I am very um, encouraged by the messaging that we're doing in the Southeast and specifically in Florida with everybody who's conducting prescribed burn throughout the state, whether it's an agency, a group, or a private landowner. Thanks for listening to Friends of Fire. This podcast is brought to you by the Southern Fire Exchange. The Southern Fire Exchange is a regional program for fire science delivery in the Southeast. Working with our network of partners, we develop programs, opportunities, and events that connect prescribed fire science and natural resource management. Throughout the South, we host workshops, coordinate webinars, develop fact sheets, and create other content to move science into the hands of managers. We also work to connect researchers with the pressing and relevant needs of the natural resource management community. Support for this podcast comes from a grant from the Joint Fire Science Program. Special thanks to the University of Florida, Tall Timbers Research Station, and North Carolina State University. Music by David Bergen. If you would like to share your feedback from the show today, or if you have an idea for a future episode, email us at contactus at southernfireexchange.org. Happy burning. <laughs>